Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you in song. And, and now as we get ready to worship you through the word, we'd ask you to just guide and lead in each thing you would want us to bring out and, and share and hear. And we thank you in your son's name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 10 through verse 18. Finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the, the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth and having your, the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereon with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. I just want to look at this. We've probably known these verses and heard these verses at various times. But Paul is getting ready to finish off this letter and he starts out with finally, uh, showing that he's at the end. Uh, I used to be with a pastor that would say finally and in conclusion probably about six or seven times before he finally concluded a message. Here Paul is actually getting ready to conclude the message. It's, it's very, very, pretty much done. This is, finally, brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And this he's been, in the Greek it says, be filled with strength. It's not our strength that he's telling us to stand in. And I've heard lots of pastors go in how we're supposed to be strong and all of this, but you know, when we serve God, it's all him. It really is. It's all him. It's not me that does things. It's not you who does things. When I have met people over the years and they go, well, how are you doing, you know, in your, in your walk or whatever, and they're going, well, I'm, I'm working real hard. <laughs> I'm striving to be good. And the answer has always been real simple. Quit trying so hard. Just let God do it. You know, and we said this, Christian, the Christian walk is easy to do and you just let God crucify your flesh and let him be your strength. And here, even though in English it needs that it seems to be our strength, he's saying, let God give you the strength. And we go in and then in the power of his might. It is so wonderful that all we do for God is in his power, in his strength, his might. Oh. We've been sharing in the, in the Psalms class, you know, God says he wants to be our defense. He tells us to run into him as a strong tower hide in him. And we're going to be looking at the same thing in this set of scriptures. Now I want to just bring out everything that we look at when he says to be putting on the armor of God is Jesus. Each piece of the armor is Jesus and we're to hide in him. And we've, Paul's message all through the epistles is be in Christ. Be in Christ. Put on Christ. And the other thing we're going to do, and I'm just going to mention this up front because it's one of the you know, very interesting things, but in Greek, every one of these pieces of, of armor that it says to put on is in the Aorist tense, which means it happened in the past. And all it has to do is happen one time. Okay, and I heard, you know, and we've all heard many pre preachers and pastors and stuff say, put on the armor of God every day. 
well, it sounds good and I understand what they're saying, but that's not what this says. <laughs> this says put the armor on and keep it on. So I just want to bring that out. We're, we're going to knock out a few of these uh, things that you hear all the time about the armor of God. So, but in this case, it's saying put on Christ. It's just another way of saying put on Christ. And when we put him on, we're to stand strong in his might. And then it says on verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And when it says put on the whole or the complete armor of God, the listing Paul gives here is not really a complete listing. Okay? Because when you look at this, he doesn't mention the, the creeds, which would cover your legs. He doesn't mention the other weapons that are in the, in the whole armor of God. But his whole idea is that we're hiding in Christ. You know, we think back to David and Goliath. What did David go out with? You know, we want to say that he went out with nothing, but you know, he went out with his, with his sling, but he went out knowing he was protected by God. He was not fearful at all because he had an armor much stronger than what Paul, uh, Saul was trying to put on him. He had God himself as his protection, and he knew it. David did not go to fight Goliath with fear and trembling. He goes, I'm following God, and God is going to deliver this, as he said, this uncircumcised Philistine who dares to defile God, and God's going to deliver him into my hands. This is the attitude that we have. When we get put on Christ, nothing can touch us from Satan's perspective. Nothing. Nothing will touch us. None of the trickery, none of the desires, because we are in Christ. The attack does not hit us. And this is the same thing we're talking about in Psalms. We're hiding in the fortress. <laughs> you know, and we've talked about this. How many times do we go through storms in life, and sometimes we're going through it in our own strength? And the storm doesn't have to be very bad to shake us up. Other times we're hiding in Christ and in God, and we don't feel the storm. Yeah. This last week when we had the storms and thunder and, and, and rain and everything, the short periods we had it, <laughs> When you're in the house, you're not worrying about the storm, are you? Unless you have a, well, <laughs> you have a house that's uh, old and it might blow away, but most people don't worry about their house in the middle of the storm. But what if you're caught out in the middle of it, especially if you're not in your car? Then you're going to go, am I going to make it home? Am I going to find shelter? Is it, is it just rain or is it lightning? Is it wind that's going to blow everything around? You worry about it when you're not in the protection. And here we're looking at Paul saying, put on this armor. Put on Christ. Then he goes, the reason why is that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our enemy is not a flesh and blood enemy. Our enemy is not an enemy we can see, which makes it hard to fight the enemy that we can't see, which is why we need Christ and we need God to fight the enemy for us. Now, one of the things I wonder about is when we get to heaven, is God going to show us what the spiritual side of our life looked like? Probably terrify us if we really understood what was going on around us all the time. Demonic attacks, influences, directions being attacking on us, and we don't know it. Sometimes we don't know it because we are in Christ and we're not feeling the attack because it's not reaching us. Other times we just don't realize what's going on around us. And this is I was sharing the other, the other day, I think it was Wednesday night, you know, when Job was attacked by Satan, we have an advantage when we read his story and it says, you know, 
Satan goes to God and says, you know, I've been wanting, you know, walking around, God says, well, if you consider my servant Job, and he says, well, I would, but you've protected him. Do you realize when bad things are happening to you, and what I said on Wednesday night is we need to write a new chapter at the beginning of our, of our, of our, of our book. You know, Ralph, chapter one and two. <laughs> Satan is going to the Father, and the Father is saying, have you considered, you know, and every one of us can put our name in that when, when things are going bad. Because God knows what's going on in our life. Satan can do nothing in our, to our life that God does not allow to happen. So even when we think that everything bad is happening and everything, nothing good is happening in our life, God is still in control. He is still allowing the test. And we just need to write a little thing in there, remind ourselves that God, Satan had to go to God and get permission to do what he's doing. And he can only go as far as God says he can go. In Job's case, he was said you can't kill Job. That hasn't been true of everybody. You know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were said, God's not going to let their life be taken. Daniel didn't let his life be taken. Isaiah had his life taken. He was putting a log sod in half. Okay? God doesn't necessarily say that your life will not be taken, but he says he's in control. He is in control of every part of our life. Nothing happens to us that God does not know was going to happen. And you know what? He already knows how we're going to decide. Now, our tests are not for God to figure out, are we really honest and believe? It's for us to find out, are we honest and do we believe? Have you ever been in a place where you go, God, I will, I will serve you no matter what. And the next thing you know, you're not serving God and you're going, how did I get here? God put you in a test to see whether you, whether you were going to serve him or not, no matter what, and you failed. And it wasn't something that he was surprised by. He already knew you'd fail the test. It's for us. It's for us. Do I truly believe what God is teaching me? And he says, let me, let me run this test by you. Let's see if you really, do you believe. Do you really believe that I'm in control of all things and nothing, nothing is a surprise? When you're learning that, guarantee some bad things are going to happen. He's going to say, do you truly believe? Because we have this habit of lying to ourselves. You know, God, I will, I will always do this or that. And God's going to say, okay, let's see if you really will. Sometimes we pass. And God says, good. Sometimes we fail. You know that God's still glorified even if we fail? I love the fact that God's going to be glorified even if we fail the test. He's glorified because he gets to give us grace and lift us up and say, here's my child. They're still perfect in my sight. They're still clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Okay, Satan, you, you were able to knock them down, but they're still mine. And you know, God restores us back to where we left. Not, he doesn't say, okay, you failed. You've got to go back to step one. He says, okay, you failed, but I caught you, and I'm going to put you right back up to where you were at. That's God's grace. That's his mercy that he gives us. He doesn't say, oh, you failed. The prodigal son, when he came back to the father, the father was watching him, and you know, he was all set. Father, I've sinned. I, I, deserve, I just want to be a servant. The, the prodigal father could have said, well, fine, you're a servant. You've got to prove that you're, you deserve to be my son. You're going to be a servant for three years. You know, until you prove to me that you deserve to be my son again. No, that's not the way he acted. 
He acted the way God does and said, hey, thank you, you're back. I'm going to bring you right back into the family. We're going to have a celebration that you're back, and, and you're going to be my, be my son. That's the way God treats us when we come back to him. doesn't matter whether it's been three minutes since we failed and confessed, three years since we've sinned and confessed, three decades since we sinned and confessed. He's standing there waiting and saying, I want you back. I want my child back, and no, I'm not going to make you be a servant and prove that you deserve to be my child. That's the, that's the heart of the Father. And here we see we don't fight against flesh and blood. He knows that we're going to have trouble fighting if it's not him doing it. And you know what? If it's not him doing the fighting, we will lose. We will lose if we're not letting him do the protection. Because we're fighting against principalities. Principalities are the, the highest of the demons. Now, most of us don't ever get to see them directly. Uh, most of us aren't important enough to see the principalities, but they will direct battles our way. But it also says that we will be facing, besides principalities, against powers. And those are people with delegated authority. Uh, every one of us has some power against us. You know, again, not one that's ruling the countries or the, or the state, you know, uh, or going after the big people that are, you know, the, the Billy Grahams and everything who are affecting the kingdom for thousands of people. But, you know, we just said before we even started this that we have 1,800 people listening to these messages. Do you think that's grabbing Satan's attention a little bit? You know, what do we need to prepare for? We need to prepare for attacks. We need to prepare because we're not just touching the small number of here. We're touching the world. Again, we're not up there. We're not in the millions, so we're not going to draw the, the principalities. But, you know, we're, we're probably jangling, the, jangling this chain a little bit and saying, you know, look what we're doing. You know, and we face rulers of darkness of this world against spiritual wickedness in high places. And, you know, we are facing spiritual wickedness. Sometimes we let spiritual wickedness right into our own homes by not watching what we're reading, watching, uh, participating in. We need to be careful. It says that we're to put no vile thing in front of our eyes. Now, I'm not saying all TV is bad, all movies are bad, all radio is bad, but, you know, what do we watch? What do we, what do we, are, is it uplifting? Is it destructive to, to spirituality? And, you know, most people tell me, well, it's just entertainment. Well, that's actually the problem. When you're being entertained, you turn off a lot of your defenses. Have you ever had a thought come through your mind and you wonder where that thought came from because you never remember hearing it? And then you may listen to a song or watch a show that you watched and say, oh, that's where that thought came from. Now, we need to be careful what we watch, what we listen to, because we need to keep our minds sharp. It's easy when you're talking to somebody and they're talking about unspiritual things to kind of put up your guards and not listen and kind of defend what you're looking at. But oftentimes when you're just listening, how many times have I been around people and they go, well, I don't, I'm not listening to the words of the, of the song. <laughs> As they're singing, every song, on the so every song, a word to the songs that they're listening to. Uh, and I think I shared with you, I went to a store one time, take over a store as a manager, and I wasn't making a lot of changes, and they played rap music. Well, after a week, I started actually understanding the words <laughs> to the songs that were being played, and I'm going, no, we're not listening to this music. I'm here more than all of you, and I am not listening to this. 
And I go, why? I go, because I don't need to listen about raping people and murdering people and all this other garbage that was on those songs. And I'm going, no, we're not doing this. But we hear these things and our mind picks them up whether we are actually understanding them or not. Our mind pulls these things in. When we watch certain movies and, and television shows every week and then wonder why our thoughts go that direction that, that those shows go, because we're letting things come in without any spiritual guard. We're, not, we're forgetting we're in a battle. And when you forget you're in a battle, you're going to get hurt. This is true in real life. When people forget they're in, the, in a battle zone and they do something dumb, they take off their armor for just a moment because it's hot. And the next thing they know, they get a bullet you know, through the brain or, or through the heart because they, for just a moment, they forgot that they were in a battle. It doesn't take but a moment to get, get the attack. In verse 13, Therefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, stand. You know, that's all God tells us to do is stand. He put on the armor and stand. He's the one that's going to do the, the fighting. And you'll find in this section and every other else in the scripture, he says stand. He's not telling us to charge the enemy. He says stand. And this means to be firmly fixed. Just stand there in, in God. And then we look at the armor. Stand therefore having your loins good about with truth. Your loins, your, the, the area of reproduction, the area of being able to be hamstrung. Gird with truth. Jesus is truth. And you know, this is talking about reproduction, and it is the Christian's job to go out and give the gospel out to people. And it has to be in truth. And we've talked about this many times. We need to share the gospel. When you're standing in line at the grocery store, and you have a captive audience because they probably don't want to switch lines, Talk to them. We've shared with you, it doesn't take long to give the gospel. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And you just ask them, you know, are you a sinner? If you're a sinner, you've said, yes, you're a sinner. God says you deserve, you deserve punishment. For God commended his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus paid the price. If we call upon his name, whosoever shall call upon his name shall be saved. How long did it take us to do that gospel message? <laughs> you know, it doesn't take more than about five minutes. And that's if you interact with him a little bit. It's not hard to give the gospel. And people go, well, what if they ask me questions? What if we said about it? questions? Questions are the best thing they can ask you. Especially if you don't know the answer. And that's what keeps people from sharing the gospel because they're afraid that somebody's going to ask them a question they don't know. But you know what? The answer is very simple. That's a very good question. I don't know the answer to that. Can I meet with you or call you next week or tomorrow or the next day, depending on how well you know it, and I will find that answer and I'll get it back to you. Guess what? You can give them the gospel two times. <laughs> you get a second chance to talk to them. So the very thing we fear the most about preaching and teaching and sharing the gospel is the thing that is going to be the best thing that can happen to you. You get a chance to share the gospel twice. Maybe they'll ask you another question you don't know, and you get a third time to tell them. 
it's wonderful being able to share the gospel. And God is, that is our job as Christians. If God didn't need us to share the gospel, we'd get saved and he'd just take us home. Okay, you're saved and you can come home. I don't need you down there. But he gives us the privilege of sharing the gospel with, the, with, with other people. And I hope you understand that it is a privilege to share the gospel. And then, you know, the one, one thing that most people don't do when they share the gospel? They don't ask him, would you like to know Jesus as your Savior? I've heard a lot of people share the gospel. They had somebody all ready to say yes, they want to share, you know, and pray, and then they walk away. You know, kind of like a salesman who says, you know, do you, want to, do you want to buy this new car? Yeah, 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 you love this new car? Okay, see you later. He <laughs> doesn't fill out the paperwork for the car. Now, most of us would probably appreciate that in some cases because these guys twist our arms to buy a car we don't want them. But, you know, are we asking them, do they want Jesus? And I'm not saying we're salesmen, but are we asking them? And then say, just confess you're a sinner, ask Jesus to come into your heart because he paid the price. But our loins gird about with the truth, and Jesus is the truth. And it says, having on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to knock out another one of these very wonderful things that preachers love to say. They will tell you that Jesus just puts a breastplate on you because you're never supposed to turn your back on God. Now, really dumb thing to say, but I've heard hundreds of preachers say that. This breastplate literally is the clamshell that you see every Roman soldier <laughs> wearing that goes over their head and straps on, the, straps on the sides and covers the back and the front. Because God wants us protected on all sides not just our front because the Satan and the devils are not going to stand there in front of us and say, let me just shoot the front because his back's open. God, with his righteousness, covers all of us. And because it is Jesus is our righteousness, it's literally more than just our, our front and our back also covered. It's all of us that is covered. He wants to protect us completely with his righteousness because our righteousness doesn't do any good. Our righteousness is filthy rags. And you realize that those who aren't saved, when they stand before God, are going to stand in a bunch of filthy rags. And they're going to go, God, I've, I've been a really good person. I've been a better person than not. You know, just look at these wonderful rags I'm wearing and let me into heaven. As they look down and see what, right, what their righteousness really is in front of God. You know, they're coming in thinking they're all, you know, you know, all big things. And I've talked to many people who go, I'll just, show, I'll just go to God and share, you know, tell him how good I am. You know, I'm going to go tell God how good I am when you're standing in front of perfection. That would be like taking and painting, making this painting a copy of some great masterpiece and taking it and go, well, I want this hung right next to it. It looks just like it. You know, for most of us, we probably couldn't make anything that looks like anything close to a, a master's work, especially me. Uh, if I try, I, you know, I've told you all, I can't even draw a straight line without a, with a ruler. I have a trouble drawing a straight line, much less with, without. But, you know, but you understand what I'm saying? That would be like somebody saying, well, you know, I, I, have, pointed, I have painted this Mona Lisa. I want to hang it right next to the, the real one so people can appreciate my copy of it, my attempt to copy it. And you, <laughs> I see my wife laughing, but there, isn't that what they would do to you? Like, you know, who do you think you are? <laughs> You know, even if you were good, <laughs> they'd probably laugh at you and think, who, who do you think you are to, put, you know, the, to demand us to do this? Can you imagine us standing before God in our righteousness, thinking it's good, 
when we're standing in front of perfection and we finally see what our righteousness looks like in comparison to his standard. And God doesn't grade on a curve. He doesn't say you're almost there or you're better than most. He says your righteousness has to be equal to his, which is why we need Jesus. This is why we need the righteousness of Jesus covering us. It goes on to say that we are to stand there for uh, verse 15 and have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Our feet. The scriptures tell us, blessed is he who, who carries the good news. We go with the peace of God in our feet. As we walk through life, we're to bring peace to the people that we're around. We're to bring that peace. How many times have you been attacked by somebody and the first thing you do is attack them back? And God is saying, I'm your defense. Just show them love, show them care. Goes against the flesh. You know, when somebody attacks you, the flesh wants to rile up and say, okay, you, you, know, you just said bad things about me, you just wait. You just wait until I get done with you. And God is saying, love them, be kind. Let him deal with him. And you know what? God can deal with people and will deal with them. And he will defend his children. And he will always defend his children. Just as we, when we had younger children, would defend our children if somebody went after our children. We're not going to let anybody touch our children. We're not going to let people criticize your, our children. Which used to be wonderful when I would teach Sunday school and I'd try to tell somebody how bad their kid had behaved in Sunday school. Most of the time I would hear, I'd hear something like, well, not my little darling. You know, my darling's perfect. I'm going, well, come on and watch us next Sunday and we'll watch your little darling in, in action so you can deal with it. Yeah. We all need to realize we're sinners to begin with. Maybe we deserve what we're being attacked with, but God will still defend us because we're his children. Our feet are to be prepared with the gospel of peace. And that helps us to stand. The Roman soldiers' uh, sandals had spikes in them. So they couldn't be pushed back in the middle of battle. They, would, they were kind of like uh, our cleats that we have in sports. A little, little deeper, a little sharper. They actually could be used as a weapon as well. But they were helping them stand firm. They did not get pushed back in the middle of their battle. Then he says he were to take above all, and I love this, above all, the most important thing in our, in our weaponry is taking the shield of faith wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. This particular shield that it's talking about, if you've ever seen the, the pictures of the Roman soldiers, are those great big <laughs> oblong shields that they would hold in, in front of themselves with one hand and it covered their entire body. Nothing from the front could get through that shield. And then when they stood side by side, when you see anything of the Roman soldiers in the picture, it's that row of shields, and that, that's the shield it's talking about. That's the shield of faith. Again, we're hiding behind the shield of faith. When you have that big a shield, nothing's gonna come through. And you're next to another person, next to another person with that same shield, this is what God's saying. I am protecting you. I want to protect you so strongly that nothing 
Nothing is going to get through. You've got the breastplate. You've got the girt, your loins go about. You've got this great big shield that goes from the ground to above your head, and as wide as you are. You've got your breastplate in covering you. And it says that that breastplate will quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Everything that he shoots at us when we are in Christ will hit him and not us. Do you realize that when you become a Christian, you are a saint? You are his child. You are one who now can be able to break the bonds of sin because Christ broke those bonds. You are no longer enslaved to sin. Now, you can choose to live in sin and be defeated. Or you can say, I'm hiding in Christ. I've got the shield of faith. He is my new life. He has made me a new creation. He has crucified my flesh. And now I can live in victory. Unfortunately, most of us like to live in defeat more than victory. And you know, it's, for us, it's a choice. For the lost world, it's not a choice. They are defeated, and they will stay defeated because they have no power to not be defeated. They will continue to be defeated. We as Christians have a choice to not be defeated. All we have to do is trust God. Trust him, hide in him, be in him. Each one of these pieces is Jesus. He's our faith. Verse 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation, protecting our thoughts, protecting our head with the armor of salvation. Jesus has saved us. He's our salvation. He protects our thinking. And as we get more and more into the word of God, he changes our thinking. Romans 12, 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Transformed, metamorphed, changed completely by the renewing of our mind. How do we renew our mind? And, and Titus tells us that it's through the washing and the regeneration of the word of God. We read his word. We listen to his word being spoken by other teachers. We listen to pastors who give us teaching. We share one with another and learn what God is sharing. And we read, and this is why we encourage us to read through the Bible every year. And the amazing thing, and I hear it from each person who's been reading, and they're going, it's, I keep seeing all these things I never read, I never saw before, never heard before, and some people are on their third or fourth time through. I'm, I'm only on about my 30th time through, and I still find new things every time I read it. You know, and I've told you, sometimes I talk to God, and I'm going, God, when did you put this verse here? It was never, I've never seen it before. You know, because it all of a sudden jumps off the page and says, pay attention to me. You know, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm teasing him, and you, I hope you all understand I'm te that it's a tease. I know that the words have always been there. But all of a sudden, they're like, pay attention to this phrase because it's important today. It's important to your life at this point, from this point forward. And we read that, and it's his word. It's his, this, the, this helmet that covers our thinking. And it says, take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And word here is not logos, which means written word, but rhema, spoken, living word. It's not just the written word in this case. He says, I take up the Spirit, take up the sword, because it is his word. It is his living word. It's those... Those words that are jumping off at the pages and saying, this is what you're to pay attention to. This is what's going to get you through this life. 
And the sword mentioned here is not the great big broad sword for attacking. It is a short sword. Why? Because we're sitting there with a great big shield next to other people with a big shield. And we're not to have a broad sword in that situation. We'll cut everybody's heads off and feet off and arms <laughs> off. Now, he gives us a short sword, and it's for thrusting forward if, you, if people get that close to you. And that's what sword they used when they had the shield. The shield. But he says, you're taking the shield, the sword. It's just for a little thrust. It's just to give God's word out. Have you ever been going along and having somebody just give you a little short verse <laughs> that was either just what you needed to hear to strengthen you or was just what you needed to make you feel convicted that you had to follow God? <laughs> and it wasn't one that was condemning you. It wasn't one that even hurt you. It was just, here, here's, a, here's just a little thing to help, help you feel better. Here's a little thing to, that God just had me share because you need to have this verse in your life. I've had plenty of them. I've had plenty of them in my time. I've heard lots of preaching, and you, I've already told you all, I've got four or five pastors that I listen to each day. And sometimes, just like any other pastor, they step on my toes <laughs> and say something that uh, makes me go, hey, you know, I didn't want to hear that today. But I needed to hear it. We all have to hear things that we don't necessarily want to hear sometimes. Because God's going to discipline us. He's going to correct us. He's not going to let us walk in sin and wallow in self-pity. The last thing Paul, Paul says is, Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. We're to pray and give forth supplications. And supplications means requests. But who are we to give most of our requests for? You know, the more I walk with God, the more I pray for others more than myself. You know, God, this person needs help. This person needs help. And every once in a while, I'll throw something in for myself. But mostly, I'm praying for other people. But I've learned to be pretty content with what God's throwing my way. He's never let me starve, obviously. <laughs> uh, never let me starve. I've always had a roof over my head. God has met my needs. So I, lo I love to pray for other people. I love to just say, God, this person needs your help. Whenever a person's name comes on into my mind, I'll pray for them because obviously God has put them there for a reason. Some people I have on paper that I'm, I'm praying for. Other people are just waiting for their name to come into my, into my mind and pray for them. But Paul is here saying, we're to pray. And I want to tell you, the only offensive weapon, truly offensive weapon in this list is prayer. Prayer sets God in motion into other people's lives. If you know people who need to get saved, we need to be praying for them. Because God will put people in their life. They will hear the gospel message till it's coming out of their ears, and they're going to be so angry that you're praying for their salvation that they'll either get saved, or they'll really get mad at you and tell you to quit praying for them to be saved. And if they tell me that, I'm still going to pray for them to get saved. <laughs> because the result of not getting saved is eternity in hell. And that's something we need to be very cognizant of. If somebody does not come to Christ, they're going to spend eternity in hell. They're going to have plenty of opportunities to have accepted Christ. But that is an alternative we don't want to have happen. 
I was asked the other day, you know, what do you do when somebody is, gets angry with you when you're sharing the gospel? Well, back off for the moment and come back again later on. Keep sharing it with them. Now, if it's with your family, you know, I'm going to share the gospel with them every single time you see them. Uh, they might run, start running away from you if you start sharing every time. But if it's somebody you just see once a month, once every other month, it might be the person to share the gospel with every time you see them. You know, but if it's your sister or your parents or your grandparents or your, or, your, or your children or grandchildren and you see them frequently, you might listen to God and say, maybe I don't want to preach to them every single day. Uh, that might just drive them away more. You might never see them. But also don't keep your mouth completely shut. But if you're walking in God's spirit, you're witnessing to them anyway because people are looking at you, watching you. How do you handle it when the police pull you over for going too fast on the road? <laughs> you know, if you're cursing and swearing at them and you've got your grandchildren in the, in the back seat and you've been trying to teach them to honor authority and you're getting mad that the authority pulled you over for breaking the law, you just told them, don't worry about what I've been teaching you. <laughs> it's really not that important. You honor that authority and you're saying, okay, well, I'm not happy about it, but you know, I got pulled over and I deserve it. You've just shared, you've shared Christ with them in a very strong way. Our lives will speak very loud to our family. How do I live? Am I honoring God or is it just a bunch of words? Um, unfortunately, if it's a bunch of words, that speaks very loud. Sometimes our actions speak so loud that our words don't even get, get heard. And we need to make sure people are understanding the word needs to be heard. And watch how we live. Pray. Pray for others. Pray for yourself. The one thing you want to pray for is that you have the strength to live Christ in front of people. That when you get attacked, you just say, okay, God, it's yours to handle. I'm just going to show them love. You back off and let God deal with it. When you're teaching them and, and something happens that doesn't quite fit your plans, you go, okay, God, you're in charge still. But we want to be able to live that life, and it's all by being in Christ. We put on Christ and we stay in him. If you want to get out of him, get ready to try to fight the devil on your own, I wouldn't recommend it. After you've been bloodied and bruised and battered, you can come back and crawl back in to God and say, help, I need the defense. But I highly recommend you stay in him. Sometimes we have to learn the hard way. Hopefully that's not what you want to do. But just learn to stay in him. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to be in you. Lord, if there is anybody in this room that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, we ask that you bring it into their heart right now that they are a sinner, that they deserve punishment, and that you paid for it, and that they will just confess that to you. Just say the words that I'm a sinner, I deserve punishment, come into my life and save me. Lord, for the rest of us that are in this room, we ask that you help us to stay in you. Help us to make sure that we are hiding in you and that you are our defender all the time, that you are protecting our thoughts, that you are the one that protects our vital area of mortality, that you are the one that helps us to speak the word and that you keep us standing strong and firm for you as an example. 
and that they will challenge and that they will come to you. And we just thank you in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.